Um, I'm quite sure you've heard of the saying, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Do you know, we live in a time where Christians have been taught that we can almost claim our way into prosperity. Quite often, some teacher promise that if being more extravagant and generous or substantial with a gift that you give to God, then you can expect the blessing to be bigger and better as well. Then others believe that being a Christian means that we should automatically be blessed with overflowing abundance. Sadly, the Bible never teaches these things. But I do want to say this. There is a truth in Scripture that reveals those who are diligent, hardworking, dedicated and honest and rely on God's guidance already have been granted blessings of life, blessings of health and ability. This truth is clearly seen in the main figure of the book of Ruth that we've been studying. She's already proven herself to be faithful, dedicated, hardworking, submissive and caring. And because of this, she's about to receive a blessing. We begin today with Boaz's first words recorded that he spoke to Ruth. Instead of asking her how she likes Israel or why she came back with Naomi to the land, instead of doing any small talk, just like last week when we saw his opening words to his workers, the Bible records his opening words to Ruth are the same as to his workers. What are they? He speaks words of grace. In addressing Ruth in his opening words, he uses the term, my daughter. This is a fatherly expression that would have been used by an elderly man towards a younger woman. He would have done this because she was younger than him, but he also done it as a term of endearment. This word would have expressed a message to Ruth. What message? He promised he would treat her like a member of his own family. And as we'll see later, he did exactly that. His first piece of fatherly advice is, don't go and glean in another field. He said this because the common practice was gleaners didn't stay in the one field very long. They often went from field to field of different harvests. They did this so they wouldn't become annoying or troublesome to the workers of the field by continually gleaning in the same place. So maybe Boaz thought that could happen to Ruth. After her first day of gleaning in his field, she may decide to go into another field and then so she wouldn't be disruptive to his workers. So Boaz tells her, don't do that. You're not a problem here now or will you ever will be. Don't go into another person's field. Stay in this one. And then he says, so don't go far from here. Now, it may seem strange and it may seem that he's repeating himself, but he's not. His previous words applied to moving to someone else's property. These words about staying here and staying close apply to the movement of the cutting of the sheaves. When he says this, he's probably got hand motions going. He's directing her. He's saying, number one, don't go to anyone else's field, stay in mine. But number two, go and glean with the women who are binding the wheat directly behind the men who are reaping it. See over there? Go over there. So don't stay here. Go over there. No doubt before this, she'd probably been staying further back from the reapers and binders. Now, by being closer to the hired hands, she would have a much better chance of finding more food in the field. The word Boaz uses here for stay close 
is debar. We've already encountered this word in chapter 1. It's the same word which was used when Ruth said that she was going to cling to her mother-in-law. I said it's a bit of a modern-day equivalent to being stuck by glue. And so that's the word Boaz uses. Stay so close, so tight in this area of my field. He's asking her not to depart from being near them. In doing this, he's looking after both her physical needs and her emotional needs. By putting her up the front with his workers, not only would she get first pick of the good grain, but this was also a way of ensuring that she'd probably make friends with the other workers together. He even had the added safety and he told his men not to touch her. These words are a code word that she would have understood. To touch someone implied to hurt them. Boaz assured her he has instructed the young men to protect her and the young women to work with her. This way, this was a way to show that she was completely safe. His offer for her to drink as well may not seem much, but this is an exceptional kind gesture in itself. History teaches us that this offer was not offered to everyone. Remember, Boaz owns the field and it's harvest time. And just like today, the old saying of time is money rang true in harvest time. When it came to water, the workers in the field weren't like people today that carry around a bottle of water. To get a drink in the field, they would have had to take a lot of time and a lot of effort. The practice on these farms was water was drawn from a well, poured in containers, and then those containers would be carried from the well to the field where the workers were. Water is heavy, so drawing water from a well and carrying the containers took time and effort. Because of all the effort, these gleaners and workers wouldn't be allowed to do that whenever they liked. Time taken to get water would have been calculated and deducted from the workers at the end of each day. That was the common practice. Allowing Ruth to drink this water was a truly privilege of distinction. It would allow her to come to the field without that worry. She wouldn't have to carry it. She wouldn't have to worry about it. It would make her entire day much easier to bear. As you can truly see, his statements in these verses are evidence of his care for her. They go far beyond probably what we read when we get the true understanding. It is his desire to show attention and care to her, not only to her, but to Naomi as well. In his field, she was welcomed. She was welcome to stay as long as she liked and to take full advantage of the law. Rather than staying back and let others work ahead of her, where most of the grain would have already been gleaned, she was allowed to come close to the front, where fallen grain would be more in abundance. She was promised safety and she was promised provision. With such an assurance from the owner of the property in his invitation, what would have got rid of all her fear? More than that, he's giving her equal standing with anyone else in the field. What's her reply? You notice Ruth's response to Boaz? How did Ruth receive all this grace? It wasn't, well, yes, of course I'm getting all this. I mean, before I came out, I prayed that I would find someone in favour in someone's eyes. Well, Boaz, obviously from God's point of view, you are that someone. You are the target. You are the vessel that God's going to use. So bring it on, boy. 
She doesn't say that. Her response is one of humility and gratitude. She acknowledges his lordship and she acknowledges her own unworthiness. In response to all that we've, what she's been told, she bowed down with her face to the ground. It was possible to bow to the ground without putting your face on it. That was a common promise, practice. But she did both. She fell to the ground, bowed and put her face in the dirt. This is one united movement and it's of humility. It is a dedicated and reverent way. What is she doing? She's completely submitting herself to him in gratitude and thanks. To fall on one's face is the humblest form of reverence that a person can show. In this action, the face is literally pressed against the ground. She's bowing and pressing her face in the dirt. It is a way of acknowledging from this I came and from this I deserve to return. In the act of Ruth putting herself in such a position, her immense gratitude is seen. She was imitating that kindness show to her was far above the lowly position that she deserved. Her words also back up this. The amazement in her words shows how astonished she was. She was probably having a thousand thoughts go through her head at the same time. She asked him to take notice. Biblically, the term take notice of someone means to show any form of kindness or respect, including affection to someone. Once again, most translations lack the real power of the word she uses. I've already touched on this. We translate it favour, but the word is grace. It isn't just favour she's receiving. It is unmerited favour that she's receiving and acknowledging. It is grace. She's not only acknowledging his grace towards her, but that it is his grace towards her as a foreigner, as one who doesn't deserve it. As a Moabite, she was entitled to glean from the fields, but nothing more could be expected. She can't believe the grace he was showing her. So much so, she's left with the question, why are you doing this? What's going on here? Boaz didn't say, oh, you're right. How could I be so blind? I mean, to help or show grace to the likes of you would be a great mistake. I mean, I'm an upstanding man. I'm a lord of the harvest here. To help or be seen with someone like you would ruin my reputation. He doesn't say that. Instead of putting her down and making her any lower, not that you can get much lower than bowing with putting your face in the dirt, he encourages her and tells her she's being rewarded. He promises her rewards for what she's done for Naomi. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing to you. You're being rewarded because of what you've done for Naomi. Somewhere along the line since the return to Israel, Boaz had heard of all the tender care and love that Ruth had showed Naomi. Ruth is now receiving open praise for her deeds, which were done in quiet. She didn't publicise it, but he knew about it. Instead of self-gratification and the certainty of what would be a much easier life, Ruth was willing to accept whatever her lot would be as she ventured with Naomi back to the land of Israel. Boaz understood that she was determined not to be a foreigner in this foreign land. She was willing to be a foreigner in a new home. Though not an Israelite, she was willing to accept life as one. Her character is known by her actions. However, what I find interesting in what Boaz says to her, is he never says this. I'm rewarding you for this. 
or I will reward you for this. He never says it. He always says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. In fact, in his response three times, he says, the Lord bless you, the Lord repay you. Most believe Boaz made his comments about blessings this way to Ruth because he would have had Abram in his mind. Abram left his country, his family and his father's house and because of his faithfulness, he received the blessings of the Lord. They would know that. They'd be taught that. We read in Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Boaz's words to Ruth reflect this same settlement as God did to Abram. She had left her country, she'd left her family, she'd left her father's house. She had acted faithfully towards Naomi. Because of this, he's asking the Lord to bless her richly. He's asking that she may receive the same blessing that Abram received. There was no need for Ruth to worry. The wealthy Lord of the harvest would care for her and care for her mother-in-law. The God of Israel would bless them as well. Her response in verse 13, some translations say, I have found favour in your sight. That's not correct. The correct statement or the correct way Ruth applies is this. Let me continue to find favour in your sight. Let me continue. She isn't asking for favour here. She already found it. She already knows she's got it. In this statement, she is acknowledging in a grateful way the actions that he has already done. She already knows where she stands. Even though she should be standing with her face in the dirt, she now realises that she's being rewarded by this man because of what she's done. And so she's saying um, and asking for it to continue. It wasn't just his actions, though, she acknowledged. She also acknowledges his words. She said Boaz had spoken kindly to her. The term here carries the motion of words to the heart. That's what this means. These are the type of words that someone says to you that hits you straight in the heart. They change you. They're not wishy-washy words. They're life-changing words. She says, you have spoken kindly to me. You have spoken words that have changed my life. For Ruth, Boaz's words were like that, straight to the heart, life-changing. His words had given her a new light of hope. And she felt it didn't, wasn't deserved. Unlike his maidservant, she says, I'm a foreigner. They were hired hands. She was one who gleans. Their language would have been familiar to him. Hers probably sounded a bit awkward. Their customs would have been known to him. Hers would have seemed a bit strange and unknown. As a foreigner and as a poor Moabite, there probably wasn't much comfort in dreaming about greater things to come. Other than Naomi, she was all, all alone and probably thought, what source of joy can come? But then through the comforting actions of words of this stranger, this fieldmaster, he had shown her affection that she'd not yet encountered from anyone else. He had acted, spoken to her and treated her as if she was one of the family, as if she truly was a daughter the heart of Ruth was encouraged by the owner of the harvest field. His words had transformed sadness to joy. They had given her rays of hope instead of thoughts of sadness and hopelessness. Her heart was comforted because of him. When it was time for the reapers and gatherers and shearers to eat at a meal, 
Guess what? Boaz made sure that she was included in the meal as well. In doing this, he was not only fulfilling the law, allowing to green, he was showing her kindness to her as well by caring for her at mealtime. The parched grain was pressed to her was more than her for enough to eat. Boaz was being extra abundant in generosity to her, giving her everything, including leftovers, which she carefully kept back for a special occasion. We learn about that next week. And as we finish today, there is one more final demonstration of his care that we read. Boaz tells his servant Ruth would be allowed to glean among the sheaves. That's gone another step further again. In this area, there would be an especially large amount of grain lying on the ground, ready for the workers to come and tie together. Normally, gleaners weren't allowed in this area because it would be easy for them to steal it and take it right away before it was tied together. The normal practice was gleaners would be kept back from this area until the sheaves were removed and tied together. Then once removed, then they could come and pick up what was left over. Some gleaners did try to get into this area, and if they did, they were carefully watched and simply told to move away. So they were told to move on. But in the case of Ruth, Boaz had enough confidence in her to know that she wouldn't steal out of these bundles before they were tied up. In this, it is a true vote of confidence in her character and in her integrity. Boaz tells his workers, don't reprimand her for being in this area. He's even given instructions to deliberately, not accidentally, drop some of the stalks that they have in their hands. This is an extra benefit that was being granted, as this grain was the best quality she could get. We are told that she gathered about an ipara grain, which would be equivalent to about half a bushel. That was enough food for two women for nearly a week. So there you have it. What a blessing. She's been instructed to stay in his field for as long as she likes and follow close behind the women to gather the grain. She's been granted protection from harm and the water that is needed is there, is hers as well. She doesn't have to work for it or pay for it. She also has the right to sit among the reapers and to eat with them, to dine with the workers. And then she even has extra food to take home and special permission. As I always ask, so what? This entire scene, this entire scene is a picture of biblical grace. This entire book, actually, is an entire picture of biblical grace of God in Christ. And one of the first things we see and learn from this passage about grace of God in Christ is this. The payer makes the first initiative. I'm quite sure you know when it comes to biblical grace, there are a couple of things we need. Firstly, you need two parties. You need two kinds of people. You need one party who is in a position where they have a debt, a debt that they can never pay back, no matter how much time, money or work they do. It would make no scrap of difference to the debt. They could work as long, pay as much as they want, but the debt will still be there. The second thing needed in biblical grace is a party or a person who can pay the debt. Now, as I just said, you probably all know that. But do you know there's one more element needed for biblical grace to take place? 
If grace is to be given and a debt is to be paid off, then you understand one of these two parties just mentioned have to make the first move. Well, for me, this is one of those great points that set biblical grace apart from any others. When we look at grace from a biblical perspective, the first move is always done by the one who can pay the debt. The payer makes the initiative. This is what we see again today in our reading. Boaz made the first move with Ruth. Boaz saw and acted. Why did he do that? I believe out of love and something else, the wow factor. Boaz changed his focus and his focus was on Ruth. God has done the same with us. And good thing too. In Romans 3, Paul quotes Psalms and Ecclesiastes to describe man's position. He writes this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All of us have turned away and we've become worthless. What position is this? The position of needing grace. The position of needing God. And how many of us seek God? None of us. But get this. Grace means that God makes the first move to come to your aid. None of us seek God, but God seeks us. Not because we deserve anything, but because he loves us and wants us for himself. Just like I did this morning with Lauren, I looked at her and she looked a bit freaked out. I took the initiative to say, I'll squirt myself in the face. Well, God took the initiative in our relationship when we were spiritually dead, when we were without strength, when we were sinners and his enemies. Salvation was not an afterthought of God, or that which, but it was something that was planned before eternity began. We have every reason to believe Boaz loved Ruth and therefore took the first steps to meet her needs. Well, we also have every reason to believe that God loves us and took the first steps to meet our needs. The payer makes the initiative. What's his first thing he does? He does this. The payer talks to us. Do you know, I know in a lot of interviews and a lot of quizzes sometimes, the questions come out. Not sure um, if you've ever had this question, but name someone you'd really like to be able to talk to. Well, for me, I used to always write two people. I used to write Roger Federer and Warren Worsby. I mean, as a tennis player, how great would it be if you had Roger Federer's mobile phone number in your phone? Roger, had a bit of a bad day. My back end was a bit off, you know. Can you give me a hand? Or imagine... Warren Worsby, who passed away last year, but I used to think, oh, how good would it be? Warren, I'm facing this issue with church or my ministry. What, what do you recommend? Imagine if Roger and Warren knew me and I had their mobile phone numbers that I could just ring up any time. Sorry, I'm getting a bit excited. I know. Well, I guess it's no surprise to you that Roger and Warren don't even know who Garth is. They've never spoken to me and they never will. Well, in a ray, Ruth was in the same position with Boaz. We saw today it was Boaz who first spoke to Ruth, and for good reason. She would have not dared speak to him. He was a man. More than that, he was a stranger, and he was the lord of the harvest. What right did a widow and an alien have to speak to a great man like Boaz? The same white I would have in walking into Roger Federer's lounge room. None at all. But that's what she had. But here's a great surprise. 
in spite of the fact that I don't know famous people, in spite of the fact that I was a sinner and I was an enemy of God, in spite of the fact that I had nothing to offer God or to bring into the relationship, God has spoken to me. He took the initiative and he spoke to me. We don't have a right to speak to him, so he speaks to us. In Jesus Christ and through his word, the almighty God has spoken to me and get this, he speaks to you. The same way Boaz spoke to Ruth. How is that? The almighty God speaks words to us that go straight to their hearts. They are life-changing words. In spite of the fact that we don't deserve to hear his word, he still speaks to us in his grace. He speaks words that hit our hearts, life-changing words, the words of salvation. We had prayer meeting here on Tuesday and Don shared a devotion with the prayer group Tuesday morning and he shared the great words from Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will become like wool. This is the payer making the initiative, speaking words to us. What words? Words to come and reason so he can dispense his grace. The payer takes the initiative, the payer speaks to us. His words also gives us confidence and guidance for our everyday life. Just as Boaz instructed Ruth where to go, don't go back there, come up really close and be with these people. So the Lord shares his words and wisdom to direct our lives. Again, like Boaz, he is the Lord of our harvest. He's the Lord of this world and he assigns us a place in his field. He points, he speaks, he guides. And when you follow, guess what? The payer offers protection and provision. Boaz instructed his young men to protect her and the young women to work with her and deliberately drop what they had in their hands. If she was hungry or thirsty, she could refresh herself with with the workers, no questions asked. In fact, Boaz ate with her and personally handed her food. Here we see the master becoming the servant. Why would Boaz or any master become a servant? that he might show his love to her, a poor foreigner. What a picture of the grace of God. Jesus Christ came to this earth as a servant. For what purpose? That he might save us and make us a part of his and his father's family. Just as Boaz shared what Ruth had, he had with Ruth, Jesus has shared with us the incredible riches of him, his father, and the Holy Spirit. Just think of the riches we have because of the grace of God the riches of his mercy and love, his grace, wisdom and knowledge, sharing his glory, the riches of sharing with others. We are now members of the family because of the promise of to provide for us and protect us. What Boaz has made available for Ruth is there ready for her to grab. He says, just take it. Well, guess what? Because of God's grace, we undeserving sinful foreigners now have all his inheritance at our disposal. We have all his care, all his provision. He keeps us safe in his field of halfers. He allows us to walk alongside and work with his own people. He grants us protection from harm, supplies us with the water of life. He gives us a seat among his people at mealtime. He gives us an overabundance at the meal so we never get hungry. And he allows us to access the riches of heaven itself with all its superabundance. 
Notice Ruth had no idea of the inside scoop. Ruth knew nothing about what Boaz had commanded his workers to do and how generous he was being. What was her part? She listened and she believed and she acted. And what happened when that happened? Well, that's the final thing. The payer offers fulfilment. Boaz fully knew Ruth's story. He knew that Ruth was abandoned, had abandoned her home, her gods, and put her faith in coming into this new land. She'd taken refuge in this new land. The image sometimes that he talks about is found in Psalms. Ruth was no longer a foreigner and a stranger. She was not only accepted by the God of Israel, but she was also willing to dwell with him and to follow him. She was satisfied and reaping the awards because of Boaz, she was fulfilled. What about us? The word of God and the son of God can fully satisfy the heart of every believer. That's where you stand. When we seek satisfaction anywhere else, we find ourselves becoming disobedient and dissatisfied. Isaiah 55 2 says this, Why spend money on what is not bread? Or why do you labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of the fair. The message is the lost world works hard, spends time, spends money on something that will never satisfy or never fulfil them. But because of the grace of God, because of everything he's done, the believer has satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must live by faith, depend on God's grace, and we must trust in his promises. And why not? Because through Jesus Christ, God has taken the initiative to bring us into his family. He's spoken to us, promised to protect us and provide for us and fulfil us. I'd like to finish with a story. It's a story of a man who lived in England and he was coming over to Australia. He wasn't a very rich man, so he saved up time and he was coming over by boat. And I think the boat trip took about two weeks. And so he spent months and months and he saved up and he got his ticket to get on the boat. And he realised being such a long trip, he better get some food for the trip over here. And so he didn't have much money left. And so the story says that he brought some bread and a stick of cheese. Well, there he was. He got on the boat and lo and behold, where he was staying was right next door to the kitchen of the boat. That wasn't too bad at first because he said, I got my bread and I got my cheese. Well, a few days went by and a week went by and it said it was a week and a half and his bread was mouldy and his cheese was mouldy. And he thought, I've had enough of this. And so he went up and he found one of the staff members on the boat, a purser. And he went up to him and he said, oh, look, sorry to trouble you. He says, look, but I've been on this boat, you know, since we left England. And, uh, you know, I brought this, but it's gone mouldy and I'm really, really hungry. Look, I'll wash dishes from here on in till we get there. You know, I'm happy to do anything, but can I come and have a meal, please, in your restaurant? And he looked at this man and he said, sir, are you a passenger on this boat? He said, yes, I am. He said, sir, do you have a ticket to be a passenger on this boat? He said, yes, I do. He said, sir, all your meals are included in your ticket. What a horrible story. Do you know, sadly, many Christians are miserable because they don't know what's in our ticket. 
If you have a look at what I told in my sermon today, show me your ticket. Please show me your ticket. God personally selected the details in today's verses to show us a minute glimpse of the immense care he shows for those he loves. He shows us in his word what's in our ticket as Christians. We should never be eating mouldy bread and mouldy cheese when we can be eating in a restaurant if it's in our hands. Boaz's care for Ruth is but a mere reflection of Jesus' care for us. And let me tell you, it is so much more than salvation. We have everything we need. We have life-changing words. How often do they change us? Day by day by day. The grace of God is so much more than salvation. The grace of God is saying, here's a ticket with a whole lot of meals inside. Take and eat. Do you know, I was at men's breakfast on Saturday morning and I was chatting with someone asking him how they came to be a Christian. And they said, it was because of the testimony of others. He said, other people had something that he didn't have and he saw it. Do you know, I've got a few books on my bookshelf by Billy Graham and I remember reading one. I don't know where it was, but they had an altar call when one person come down to the front and they said, oh, what was it that Billy said? that made you change and come down the front? He said, I don't know. He said, I've got no idea what he said. He said, well, why would you come down the front? And he said, well, he said, well, it really had, didn't have anything to do with what he said. He said, but I knew Billy would talk about God because that's what's going around. But he said, I could see in his eyes, he 120% believed in every word he was saying. He believed it. He said, that's why I came because he says, I want that. We have a ticket. We've been granted exceptional care and many tender mercies by the Lord. He's loved us enough to go to the cross for us. Now we can partake of heaven's meal together with him. In him there is spiritual reconnection so that now we have eternal life forever. We have our ticket. Do you think Ruth forgot about this day? As I said, do you think Lauren would forget about what I put that poor girl through? No, Ruth never looked back to her tragic past, nor did she consider herself some sorry plight. She fell at the feet of the master and submitted to him. She looked away from her poverty and focused on his riches. She forgot about her fears and rested on his promises. That is biblical grace. That is what's in your ticket. That is where we're going to keep going and going and going. I pray and trust you never get sick of hearing this because it should be coming out of us like that person saw in men's breakfast. People should see you and know 120% you are so focused and believed in this God stuff. Why? Because you've received biblical grace. Hallelujah and amen.